are listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Well, this is week number four in the Not a Fan series. And I don't know if you're a fan of this series or not, but it has certainly been convicting for me as I get to experience this text and I get to experience this series along with you. I don't know if you know this about me, but I am an experiential learner and I am experientially taught. And so as we go through these messages, it is sifting things about me and who I am as a fan of Jesus. And it's sifting things and moving things with me within me about what does it look like to actually be a follower of Jesus and to be on display and try and follow well and fail and and know that that's okay, that the disciples failed and and I'm going to fail and your next pastor is going to fail and your previous pastors have failed you and people in your life around you have failed you, but Jesus Christ has never failed you. And he asked something of us that is pretty significant as we are learning how to follow Jesus. And today we're going to talk about this idea of the cross. All of our worship songs, a lot of them talked about the cross. We're going to learn a little bit more about the cross, what it means to us today, what it might have meant to the first hearers of some of the texts. We only have one piece of text that we're going to sit on today, um, but if you just read it every every uh, every day this next week, it's plenty of text. It's plenty to reflect on. It's full of a life full of challenges <clears throat> and opportunities. So symbols have meaning to us. And when we think about uh, symbols, like the cross can be a symbol, but let's take a look at some other symbols that, that might just pop up here. Like, ooh, McDonald's, the golden arches. That's a symbol. You see that, you think greasy food and future heart attack or something. I don't know. Uh, Nike, you're like, oh, yes, uh, athlete and clothing and, and all of these different things. Let's take a look at the next symbol. Oh, the most uni- unifying symbols that we have. And you see one symbol and you're like, idiots. And you see the other symbol, you're like, idiots. Not really. But the symbols mean something. They draw some sort of emotion out of you. Let's see the next one. America. When we see that flag, when we saw it raised up in Iwo Jima and you see this flag, it means something to you specifically as an American, or it should mean something to us. And it's a proud moment. It's a, it's a banner underneath the kingdom of God's banner that we get to live under. And it's a privilege. We're, you know, being here is very comfortable. Being in America is very comfortable. Even in its most uncomfortable times, it's a really comfortable place to be. And let's take a look at another symbol, the cross. What does that symbol mean to you? Is it a symbol or is it a lifestyle? See, the history of the cross in our minds is is changed. Some of us have it tattooed on our bodies. Some of you today are wearing a necklace that has a cross on it or earrings or something to that effect. And so the cross means something to you, enough to wear it on your body or have it in your house. How many people have a cross in their house? Wow. How many people have more than one cross in your house? Okay, so this symbol is important to you. 
But what did it mean to the first hearers of some of the things that Jesus was saying when he talked about the cross? They were pretty well acquainted with the cross. And they probably weren't wearing it around their neck. Like, we're not walking around wearing electric chairs around our neck. This symbol was at the heart of the Roman Empire and King Herod around Jesus' time and his disciples. It was used to punish anyone who was a threat to that way of lifestyle, to that empire. It was intended to strike fear in the hearts of all the people. Crucifixions would happen if you defied Rome, and they would happen along the roadside of where you would walk. And as I was reading today, they, they would also, Jesus, they believe Jesus was actually crucified a little bit higher to make a bigger example out of them, but they liked to crucify people about a foot or two feet off the ground so when you walk past them, you could still see them. You could get real close and personal with what it would look like to defy Rome. And so to carry your cross meant something different. See, this was a symbol that put people in a certain place. This is what happens to you if you don't bow down to the culture of Rome. That's what it meant at Jesus' time. Here's some other things that it meant at Jesus' time. It meant defeat. You were defeated. You were gone. You were dead. You were embarrassed. You were stripped almost bare. And you had nothing left. And it was a slow, painful, agonizing way to go. And they designed it that way. It represented somebody that was guilty. Guilty of something. Top of Jesus' cross, the the king of the Jews. That's what he was guilty of. What are you guilty of? And they could, you're guilty of something. Cross represented condemnation. You were condemned to a certain life now, forever. A short one. But you'd be condemned on the cross. Cross represented pain and suffering, no doubt. And obviously it represented the finality of your existence here on earth. It represented death. So you want to follow Jesus. Do you want to follow him all the way to the cross. So in our text today, here's what's happened. And we talk about this fan or the follower series, but Jesus is on a great runner. And as we lead up to this piece of text, here's what's happened so far. He's calmed a storm when they're out in a boat and they're just like, whoa, like even the waves obey him. He is he, he, king over natural, natural stuff. He he restores a demon-possessed man. Even the demons would flee from him. And and the the disciples are with him, and he restores a demon-possessed man. He goes ahead and just raises a girl from the dead. She's not dead. Don't worry about this. I got that. Well, she was dead dead. But she wasn't dead when the king himself was here, and he commanded her to rise. He hits the jumper and feeds 5,000 right in front of us out of nothing. Oh, my gosh. Like, are you just like, yeah, Jesus, I'm the Jesus fan guy. Woo! Peter identifies him as like, you are the Messiah. 
You are the anointed one. You are the one that we have been waiting for. Look at you doing all this cool stuff. I'm so, I'm so excited. I'm so ready. Let's get us out of this oppression. Let's take us away from this Roman oppression and what they're doing to us. And, and you can do it. You, you can do all these things. And so he's on this great runner. And then he tells his followers how he will be betrayed and die. Uh, uh, wait a minute, that's not the game winner we were thinking about. And so they're sitting there just like, whoa, like, you're going to die and then you're going to raise up three days later, but like, well, we're, like, what's going on? And that leads us to right where we are in Luke 9, verses 23 to 26 will be on your notes on the stage. I'll probably go a little farther. But that's everything that's been happening up in the, in the Gospel of Luke up until this point. And so Jesus has some, some words that are rich and thick and full of meaning to these hearers. And here's what Jesus said to them all. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. That's pretty popular here in America. We're big on delayed gratification and denying ourselves. BK says, have it your way. And take up their cross. Ah. And take up their cross. How would the hearers of this word take that? You mean that device of absolute torture? You mean the cross that I've walked past and seen my relatives and friends and families but, uh, butchered on, hung on? You want me to take up a cross? And that's what I have to do. And, and so I take up a cross daily. Every day I got to do this and, I gotta, and follow me is what he says. We could spend the next several weeks on this verse right here. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their very self? See, Jesus isn't playing Christian here. He's not playing which church do you want to go to and how are you most comfortable and are these seats good enough and oh, Carrie's in the air air conditioning vent. She's getting cold air blowing on her. It's very torturous over there because her husband makes her sit up front. See, Jesus isn't playing games about what it looks like to be a follower of his. Again, he defines the relationship. And I'll continue on. I don't think you have it on your notes or the slide here, but whoever is ashamed of me in my words... The Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes into glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Truly, I tell you, some, of, uh, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. What did it mean for the first hearers to deny themselves and to take up their cross daily and follow Jesus? For many of them, it ended up meaning actual physical death in not a great way. As we look at church history and we look at those guys, it did not go well for them. But what does it mean for us? 
What does it mean for you? When is the last time you've had to take up your cross? And what did it look like? I want to read you a story from Kyle's book, Not a Fan, where our sermon series is coming out of. So there used to be this old school tradition that you would ask the father's hand in marriage, or the father for permission to ask the daughter to marry you. And so I had this experience recently, uh, about two summers ago. My son-in-law, Dylan, came. He just happened to be in the area. He lives in Portland. He just happened to be in the area on a Tuesday. He just happened to be shaking like a leaf and really nervous. And he drove all the way from Portland because he wanted to talk to me. Now I had some idea what this might have been about. And I was a really kind man. I didn't make him sweat it out too long. And I'm thrilled to have him be part of our family. And I gave him a big hug and I was like, you're a family. Welcome. So he asked for my daughter's hand in marriage. He said he loved her. He told us the reasons why he loved her and all these things. And so he, he came there. So that's a, that's a risk. But what, think about this. And so again, just separate this. Like you're not your dad's property, but you are a treasured possession of the almighty God, ladies. And your dad cares so much about you that he wants to make sure that you're taken care of, which is why he would want to know the person that was going to come and say that they were going to take care of you because he felt it was his responsibility to love and take care of you and protect you and equip you and care for you. And so what about this, this, uh, this proposal right here. There's a guy named um, Adonayim Judson in 1813, and he fell in love with Anne. And Adonayim had felt called to be a missionary in uh, Burma. And so here's his letter to his proposed father-in-law asking for the hand in marriage. Now, dads, I want you to tell me how you, how you feel about this. Well, think about it. Says I have I, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure and her subject, subjugation of hardships and suffering of the missionary life. I want to know whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress. Can you consent to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death for your daughter? Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly throne and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing in immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all of this? No. Move on. When you think about dying to self and carrying a cross... Like, that's a pretty big deal. Let me tell you what happened to uh, Adonai and Ann Judson. So they, 
The dad said, well, you shouldn't let her make that decision. He deferred. And she did make that decision to go be a missionary's wife, missionary, and, 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 and go along. So they got over there to India, and uh, they were doing their work, and uh, he got arrested. Shocker. He got arrested, and for uh, over a year, he would be uh, hung by his feet at night, and he could sleep on his shoulders and his neck, real comfortable. And she would come and plead for his freedom, walking two miles each way, pregnant, and plead for his freedom every day. I kind of read over that real quick, and then I was like, that's like 740 miles of walking to plead for his release. And she became ill health. She didn't have, obviously, some provisions and those things. She became of ill health, and when she had this baby, and she couldn't breastfeed her baby. And so they had to figure out, and the mercy of the prison guards allowed him to go beg for women in the village to feed their their baby. And as the story quickly accelerates, guess what happens to Anne? She dies of spotted fever. And he dies. And you're like, well, that was a bad move. Today, there's 3,700 churches, Christian churches in India, that trace their roots to Anne and Adoniah Judson. So I don't know what kind of cross that the Lord is going to ask you to bear. And I don't know what that looks like for you. But is there any price that you have paid? Does it feel like that you've paid a price for the cross or that you've been asked to? When was the last time following Jesus cost you something? Was it significant? I don't even know if I'm looking for those anymore. I don't know if I've ever looked for the, hey, hey, where's something I can suffer for, Jesus? I remember one of my dying to self moments. It says you're supposed to die to yourself. I don't know if I have very many of these moments or I just have been, haven't realized them yet, but I remember this one clearly. Um, and it also meant something for my family. The cost was more than just what Josh was going to bear. It was going to cost Carrie something. It was going to cost my kids something. It was going to cost us something. And I remember this calling. I remember Carrie and I uh, laying in our bed in Lolo, Montana, holding hands, and we had been praying, praying and praying and praying. And we were offered this great honor of being a, um, a campus pastor at a church in Missoula, Montana. But it was going to cost me something. It was going to cost me 10 years of a career that I had built up. It was going to cost me a title. It was going to cost me all of these dreams that I had had that I was much closer to attaining. And it was going to require the Lord to show up and do some special math because the math did not work out. It didn't make sense. Now, when I talk about this price that I paid, it seems like nothing compared to Anna and Adonai. But to me, it was, a big, it was a big thing at the time. It didn't look right to the world. Often, when you have to pay a price, it doesn't look right to the world. They're like, it confuses them. Why would you do that? But in the end of the day, it was, 
about me dying and dying and you know letting go of my plan and moving towards his plan. And let me tell you, it was so worth it. It wasn't worth it in a 401k. It wasn't worth it in status. It wasn't worth it in all these things, and I am not the poor, suffering pastor. But I'm certainly not where I thought I would be. But it was worth it in the life that I got to live of being able to see other people know Jesus. It was worth it in the marriages that someday will be revealed that maybe Carrie and I had a part in helping make it. And the kids, someday that it will be revealed to the kids that didn't have to go through a divorce. But it's worth it. Whatever the price he's asking you to pay, it is absolutely worth it. Following Jesus to a place where only he can make something happen is so faith-building. Will you follow him to the cross? Will you take up your cross and follow him? The day Jesus took the cross was the greatest day in all of history. He took eternal death and he turned it into eternal life. He took all of our sins, everything in our past, and everything that I'm going to mess up on and you're going to mess up on in the future. And he placed them on the cross with him. Does the cross have a different meaning? It's not an ornament. It's a lifestyle. It represents the moment that the world was turned upside down. Everything has changed because of this. The world is never going to be the same because of the cross. Who else? Who else could take the cross that represented death and turn it into a symbol of victory that we look at it today now? Who else but God could take that cross that represented guilt and turn it into grace? Who else but God could take the cross that represented condemnation and turn it into a symbol of freedom? Who else but God could take the cross that represented pain and suffering and turn it into a symbol of healing and hope? And who else could take the cross that represented death and turn it into a symbol of life? Amen. What will it cost you to take up your cross? See, followers of Jesus, they make sacrifices. They do it, they sacrifice their time and money. And not just within the church walls. But like their life is lived out in where they're placing their treasure and their talents. And it's interesting, this word sacrifice, like some of these things on this list don't stay as a sacrifice. 
they actually transform in your heart and your life into a passion, into the ruah, the air that you breathe. It's what keeps you functioning and moving forward in the kingdom of God, of being a follower of God. They're not a sacrifice anymore. Maybe at the beginning they're a sacrifice. But for followers, they turn into the actual breath of their life and they're moved forward. They participate in a biblical community. We had an awesome uh, group that just launched. First of all, here's some cool things. There was 44 people in our new life groups last weekend. 44 people said, yeah. They said, I'm going to get into community. I'm going to mix it up. I'm going I'm I'm to be a little bit more open to what God has for me. So they participate in a biblical community. They study the text. We understand the text. We learn it. We, we dive in more. We debate about it. We talk about it. We're like, well, I think this. Well, I think this. Well, what does God think? Let's, like, that's the topic of discussion, not who's going to win the football games today. They submit to God in worship, privately and publicly. They're throwing their heart out. Like, Hallelujah, what a savior. They communicate with their creator in prayer. Wait a minute. Is this the read the Bible, pray to God sermon again? I know. It keeps coming back. It's like it's repetitive. It's like it's a rhythm and a life. See, followers of Jesus who bear their cross, they define their relationship with Jesus. And they say, yes, Lord, here I am now. Send me now. You may not get sent to India. You may not have this super uncomfortable calling. You might. But right here where you are right now, God has something for you and those around you. Right where you work, right where you eat, live and breathe and pray, all of those things, this is where God has you. Do we dare ask him the question, Lord, what do I need to sacrifice? Lord, what, where, where is the cross that you want me to bear in my community? Jesus Christ had a, a countercultural message to his followers to embrace the cross, to show that it was a way of life and hope. It's pushing back the message of the, of the culture that you have to think this or you're a this, and if you think this way, then obviously you're a this. Pushing back the message and putting the cross at the forefront of their life. He said, this is how I'm going to launch my plan to restore the world. It's right here at this moment, right on this cross. Are you going to take up your cross? Are you going to dare to ask God, what is the cross you would have me take? Are you going to seek that out? Are you going to live countercultural to the views of this world? Are you partner with God right where you are to bring heaven crashing into earth? See, carrying the cross, you either carry the cross of this world or you carry the cross of Jesus. But you will carry a cross. There is burdens, there are things that are coming. But I hope you choose the cross of Jesus, the cross of life. And it's not designed for our comfort. Bearing your cross will not be comfort comfortable, but it will be worth it. And remember this, fans and followers. 
the cross is not something that you cheer for. It's something that you bear. And Jesus bore the cross for us, and he asked us to do the same. So let's take this time and go to communion as we think about the cross. I know this is not an easy, light, fluffy message, but Jesus' message is not easy, uh, light, and fluffy. It is not designed for our comfort. It is designed for the kingdom. And you are the kingdom builders. But we want to come to the cross every week. Do we not do this every week? Don't let this get stale or old. If you need to take a break from it for a week, you could take a break from it for a week. But when we come to the cross, we come to lay our life down at this cross. We come to the cross with an anticipation that there are some things this week that define me as a fan of Jesus. And I don't, I'm not proud of those things. And Lord, lead me to the things that are going to define me as a follower of you. Lead me to the cross. So let's take a moment, clear your mind, and let's just ask the Holy Spirit to just fall upon you right now. And Lord, I just ask that your spirit fall upon every heart and every mind in here right now, right in the seats where they're sitting. And you are the God who reveals to us who you are. You reveal to us our purposes. You reveal to us our plans, the plans you have for us through you. And Lord, this week, if some of the folks in here dare to take this challenge, if they dare to take the challenge to ask, what is the cross, Father, that you would have me bear at this time? Lord, I ask that that would just be communicated really clearly. You've already put the measures in place to accomplish your purposes through the minds and hearts in here of what you would have. Do we see it, Father? Are we open to it? Or is that just a scary question to ask, Lord? Give us boldness to ask that question. Give us boldness to take up our crosses. As you took up the cross for the world, Lord. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took this bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. It's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember what happens on the cross and remember to bear your cross. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. Let's remember the cross. Father, I thank you for this time. Thank you for your text. I thank you that you are already working in the hearts and minds of your people this week before they even came here. I ask that you would just continue to reveal to each and every heart in here your exact plan and purpose for their lives. And that we're willing to say yes. That we don't just say yes once or we said yes a long time ago, but we say yes today. We say yes tomorrow. Every day we bear our cross and we say yes to you and your plan and your purpose. Lord, we want to hear it. Be loud and be bold in our lives. Let us recognize it. Thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.